All right, well, welcome to our breakout, uh, Reaching One. Uh, my name is Jason DeGraff. Uh, I serve on staff as our community group's pastor, and I've been working with groups for almost all my eight years here at Northridge. And I'm Josh Warren. I'm the director of outreach here at Northridge Church. I have been a community group leader for about eight years, and one of my roles here at Northridge as director of outreach is overseeing one of our other primary groups' environments, which is Starting Point, which meets on Sunday mornings and provides a safe space for people who are exploring faith or taking their early steps in their faith journey. Yes. Yeah, so today in the breakout, we want to focus on two uh, primary questions. Uh, the first one is, you know, how do I get new people into my group? Uh, and the second one, following up with that, once you get them into your group, how do you keep them? So uh, the goal in our breakout today is to get new people into group and then to help them to stick. Um, but before we address this goal, before we um, talk about these questions, I want to address a tension that I think uh, we feel often in our group. So much of the time we get to a point where we like our group just the way it is. Uh, maybe your group just started picking up momentum. Maybe you've established some very um, close friendships within your group. And so you're worried about anything ruining what you're experiencing uh, in your group. And it seems like either adding people to your group uh, or maybe multiplying your group could ruin what you're experiencing. And so I think this raises an important question for all of us to think through. Uh, and the question is this. Uh, what would it look like if we didn't add more people to our group? Uh, what would it look like for Northridge Church? Uh, what would it look like for your group itself? And, and I think there's a few consequences if we don't add more people to um, our groups. And so Josh and I want to talk about four of those consequences. The first one is this, that we fail the mission. Uh, so everything that we do at Northridge Church um, starts with the mission that Jesus gave us of making more and better followers uh, of Jesus. Uh, the Great Commission for me, it's everything we do from groups to kids ministry to uh, what we teach on Sunday morning to how we preach um, to the songs we sing and how we sing them. And the minute I think that we begin to focus on the better uh, to the exclusion of the more um, or on the more to the exclusion of the better, then we lose the Great Commission. And I don't believe that we can effectively accomplish the mission of making more and better followers of Jesus if we don't have room to add new people to groups. Uh, a second consequence of not adding people to groups would be that we lose biblical community. Um, so the mission of Northridge is to make more and better followers of Jesus. Uh, but the mission of groups at Northridge is that everybody would experience biblical community. Uh, or we often say uh, uh, the ABCs. We want everybody to be applying the Bible, uh, building relationships, and caring for each other. And so we believe that uh, being part of biblical community is essential to the faith of every single follower of Jesus. That without it, we can't grow. Um, one of the statements that we often use at Northridge is that uh, you can't grow spiritually unless you connect relationally. So if we don't create room for people who are following Jesus or people who are considering following Jesus, then we don't believe that everybody can experience biblical, biblical community. The third consequence of not adding new people is we stagnate. Groups that don't grow will become stagnant. That's just the reality. The longer you're together without adding new people, the harder it becomes to add new people. They'll feel like outsiders. It's more difficult for them to connect. But if there are new people in group or newer folks in group, it's easier for new people to get plugged in and feel safe in that environment. And you'll push back. I mean, as Jason mentioned, we start to get to a point where you feel like my group is comfortable. We've gelled together. We've found community. The real way to get authentic is to be together with the same group for a long time. Um, and I've been there. We've been in groups and seasons in our group where everyone's friends, and you want to stay together, and adding new people messes up that dynamic. Um, and I start to wonder, is it even worth adding new people or even 
you know, say the, the curse word multiply our groups, right? Should we even bother with that? But I think this is incredibly narrow and short-sighted thinking because inward-focused groups are inherently selfish. A closed group has lost sight, as Jason mentioned, of both parts of the mission, the more and better. The more is obvious. You drop the ball in more when you don't make space for new people to connect. If they're not a believer yet or they're just checking out church and you don't create a space for them, we can't grow. So you, it's obvious the more is lost. But you lose the better because mature believers have a role to play in teaching, in training, in raising up people who are new in faith, who are not mature in faith. And not only that, but in a growing, multiplying group, you will be confronted with people and situations you will not face naturally in your own experience, in your sphere, in your circle, in your life. And so as you start to walk alongside people with different experiences, different challenges, different things they're facing, you will find that you are going to grow because you're going to be addressing problems you've never had to confront before. And the last consequence of not adding new people is we miss out on life change. See, eternity is at stake for many of these people. Many people show up at Northridge and they join groups because they're looking for something new in life. Whatever circumstance brought them to Northridge, they're looking for something different than what they've always done. And so much is at stake. By connecting with group, they get to walk alongside others. They get to walk alongside you, mature people who've been transformed by the gospel. And when you walk alongside them, they get exposure to Jesus. They get exposure to a life lived with the gospel in mind. And that impacts where they will spend eternity. And let me tell you, there are few things, in my experience with Starting Point especially, there are few things more powerful than being there when someone decides to follow Jesus wholeheartedly with their lives. So I think that's just a huge piece of it. But not only that, not only is eternity at stake, but the here and now is at stake as well. What's at stake is a life lived without regret. A life lived devoted to following Jesus. Because when you walk alongside people and help them think biblically in their lives, Divorce, addiction, broken friendships, community group is helping prevent those things to walk alongside people facing the real world. And when you get to do that in a group that's growing, you are literally on the front lines of a spiritual war, of a battle where people's here and now, their lives are at stake. And you get to be a part of bringing a piece of the kingdom of God to earth to push back the effects of sin in our world. All right, so there's a TV that's blinking in the back and it's driving me crazy. Josh, do you want to turn it off for a second? Okay. I'm like, I'm like, there's somebody sending me a message. Okay. All right. Um, so we understand there's a few consequences uh, if we don't add people to our group. So maybe you're saying, okay, I get it. I need to add people to my group. That's why I came with this breakout. Um, so how do we get new people to group? That's the question. Now, and I think there's two primary ways that people are added to your group. And the first one is this, that you look for them. Um, this is really all about the invite. It's about you inviting. It's about the people in your group inviting people to your group. And the way we do this is by casting a vision for your group about what it means to be a growing group. Because it's not just your job to grow your group. Just because you're the leader doesn't mean you're in charge of growing the group. This is something you've got to get your entire community group behind. They can all own the vision for a growing group. And so to do that, number one, you have to lead by example. You really have to talk about who you're going to invite to group yourself. Are you bringing it up? Are you mentioning your attempts to invite people, to grow your group, to create an atmosphere where people can get engaged? So make a habit of bringing up the people you can invite, whether it's invite to church or invite to community group. Bring that up in discussion or during your, during your prayer time as a request. Nothing is more compelling than seeing you lead out. When you invite and someone actually shows up, people are going to get excited. This is something we can do. This is something we can get on. 
Are you also making time to pray for new people as a group? One way you can model being an inviter group, being a group that grows, is maybe every week when you break for prayer time, remind your group, let's be praying. Everyone, not only share your prayer request for this week, but also share about somebody that you're actively investing in, someone that you can invite to church or to community group. You might even go so far as to hand out, if you're familiar with them, the Pi Squared Inviter Cards, where on the back you can write down the name of a family member, a friend, a co-worker. Maybe you provide that as a tool to your community group so that people can be thinking actively about who they might invite. And one other thing you could even do is take each of the letters of Pi Squared, praying, invest, invite, where we're praying for people far from God, investing in their lives, and inviting them to take their next step. Maybe every week you focus on one of those three letters. Maybe one week you're praying for people, maybe one week you're talking about next steps to invest, and the next week you're talking about, this week I'm going to make that invite. All right, so maybe you say, okay, yeah, I get it. Um, I need to add more people to my group, but who am I supposed to invite? Maybe you're thinking, you know, I don't really know of people to invite to my group. And so as I was thinking about, you know, presenting this breakout, I was thinking, okay, if I was going to invite somebody to my group, you know, who would I invite? And as I was thinking about this, I think it's all about a mindset. Uh, It's having a mindset that every interaction that you have, uh, either with somebody from Northridge or even people outside of Northridge, you're thinking, okay, everybody needs to experience biblical community. Uh, you're thinking, uh, you have on your radar that everybody needs to be in a group. So as you connect with the people that you do life with, you think, okay, I could invite this person to my group. Which takes us to 10 ways to find new people to uh, for your group. Um, so once you have that mindset in place and you're thinking about the people around you who need to be in a group, uh, the first one would be this, the people on your pie square list, just like Josh just talked about. It might be that somebody that you are investing in, praying for, inviting, uh, the best next step for them uh to get involved with Northridge or with Faith would be to come check out your group. A second thing would be people with common interests. So as you're interacting with the people that you do life with, um, this might be uh, your gym buddy, this might be a sports teammate, maybe it's a fellow musician or an artist. Uh, maybe you have kids and your kids have friends and their friends have parents and they could be the ones that you <laughs> might invite to your group. So Pi Squared List, people with common interests. Go ahead, take number three. Number three is at a party. Who doesn't like to party? We find excuses to celebrate all sorts of things, whether it's sporting events, birthdays, babies, weddings, graduations, holidays. It's a relaxed relaxed place where you can connect with others and you can get involved in their social lives. You can also make an invite into something that might be a benefit to them. Not only that, this is about building relational influence. If you're having a party, don't forget to invite the people that you're investing in. Involve them in your social life, in your sphere of influence, and make them a part of your lives as you invest. (laughs) Number four is volunteer at information tables. We have an information center. We offer Next every week at all of our campuses. Um, When we're doing groups pushes, which is roughly nine weeks every year, three weeks leading up to each trimester, those are great opportunities where people are looking to take these next steps. And so you can be on the front line of engaging with someone who's actively looking for a group by volunteering in these spaces. So that might be a place you consider serving. Some campuses already have teams in place for some of these environments. So if this is a step you want to take, you know, you want to talk to one of us and we'll figure out how to get you connected with that team. Um, You might also volunteer as an usher or a greeter. Um, You won't necessarily have the opportunity to have long conversations in those roles on Sunday morning, but you'll be right there interacting as everyone comes through your door or your space, and you just keep your eyes open for those guest packs, for the people who are new to Northridge. It's a dead giveaway that it's someone's first time there, and you can have a conversation, and you can ask them if they consider joining the community group. 
Um, and then the sixth one is volunteer anywhere. So don't just volunteer at the info tables. Don't just volunteer as an usher or greeter. Wherever you're volunteering, it is very likely that somebody that serves alongside you in that environment, whether it's kids ministry, production team, somewhere, it's, it's very possible and very likely that somebody else in that ministry area is not currently in a group. The people you serve with, have you asked them all what group they're in? And considered, you know, seeing if they can take that step and join you in your community group. All right, number seven is to update your group finder profile. And we just talked about group vitals. Hopefully you'll uh, log into that this week. But every uh, week there's people who are looking online for a group. And so as they look through groups, they're going to look uh, for the one that sounds the most compelling to them. Uh, so look at your group description and make it far more compelling uh, than every other group. And promise them things. Maybe you can't you know, keep them, but, but make it compelling. Um, one of the things you could do is put a picture of your group. You know, Maybe that would entice people to come to your group. Um, maybe that would not entice them to come to your group. So put a picture of a different group. Or put a picture of your dessert. I don't know. But you know, make it compelling for people who are searching for a group. And number eight is to talk about your group on social media. Post Post pictures of your group, post videos of your group. Um, you never know who might be interested in your group when they see the community that you are experiencing, even online. Number nine, make group invite cards. This is for the particularly aggressive person who's <laughs> looking for ideas on Pinterest. Like, I don't know. But some groups have actually gone to lengths of putting all their information, where the group meets, what time, all of that, on like business cards and giving it to their people in group to go out and hand to people they meet and engage with and make the invite. So if that's something you're interested in, that's number nine. And number 10 is be on the lookout at our Sunday services. There's a church out there, a very large church, that uses what they call section communities as a strategy to get people involved. Essentially what it is is people naturally sit in the same section at the same service every single week. It's probably true for all of you. We are creatures of habit, right? You sit in roughly the same row every single week in whatever service you attend. Well, so does everyone else. And so when you sit down in your section, look around, get to know who's sitting in your section, pray for those people, have a conversation with one. The next week, look for someone else, have a conversation with them. Get to know the people that you sit around because it's the same people every single week. And as you engage with them relationally, make an invite and consider, ask them to consider attending Northridge or attending community group. They're already at Northridge. Um, <laughs> you can take advantage of that awkward greeting time. You know, on Sunday mornings, I turn and greet someone. And if you've been connecting with those people, those awkward handshakes are way more fruitful because you've already gotten to know them a little bit and you're getting to know them even a little bit more with that handshake on Sunday morning. Um, this is a team effort, or can be a team effort, if you sit together with your community group already. So one thing you might consider doing is asking your community group to sit together on Sunday morning, and you guys tag team that section together. Make it your goal as a group to invite people you sit near. And again, don't forget to look for those guest packs. Dead giveaway that somebody is new at Northridge. Um, so now I, was, I just want to take a minute transition. So now we've given you 10 ways to find new people. How do you get them to attend? I know you all know how to have conversations with people, but here's how I might walk through a conversation with someone when you're making that ask and just some things to consider. After you get past the, hi, my name is, what's your name? Um, ask them how long they've been attending Northridge. That's a really easy question to ask, and we're such a large church. 
I mean, you'll eventually stumble upon someone that you've never met who's been attending for 10 years. That's just how this works at a church our size. So don't be afraid of that question, how long have you been attending? Um, you can ask them, why did they first come? What brought you to Northridge, or why did you first come? That gives you some spiritual clues. I came because of X. might give you some background into why they made a transition, or they were looking for something new, or they came from a bad church experience. Whatever it is, will clue you in into a little bit of the background. Um, then I'd ask them, what group are you in? Have you had a chance to check out a group? Asking them what group they're in. We're a church of groups, not a church with groups. And so it's kind of default for many people to attend a group. That's the next step here at Northridge. So don't be afraid to word it that way. What group are you in? Not have you considered a group, but what group are you in? That's just a natural question to ask people. And two points with that. Number one, don't say no for people. It's very easy when you hear in conversation that they're busy, that they've got a lot going on, that you know they've got wild kids, school's hard, whatever their background is, it's easy to make excuses for them. But you know community group can be good for people. And so make the ask and don't say no for them. Let them say no. Pray for boldness in that ask and don't say no. And the second one is don't assume that a no is a no forever. If they say no now, maybe they'll say yes down the road when they've gotten more comfortable with Northridge, or in a season of life, they just realize they need other people around them. So keep praying, give it some time, and make another ask when it feels right. A few, minutes, a few months ago, I was sitting in the auditorium and sitting next to uh, some of my co-leaders, John and Katie Bertola, and there was a couple on my right who I didn't know, and then on my left, on the other side of John and Katie, there was another guy who I didn't know, he was filling out a connections card, and so I was thinking, um, okay, after the service, I can either do the comfortable thing and talk with my co-leaders, or I can try to reach out and connect with some people who I don't know. So I determined I was going to talk with them after the service was over, and so right after the service ended, I turned to my right, and there was that couple on my right, and they just bolted, like before I could even <laughs> grab their shoulder, touch them, you know, they, they walked away. So... There was still this guy on the left, and John and Katie were in the way, so I'm like, okay, I'll talk with them for a little bit, and then I'll, and then I'll talk with this guy. And, you know, before I know it, he took off and he left, and I didn't, you know, have an opportunity to, to talk with any of them, you know. I'll, I'll never know whether that guy connected, and he did fill out a connections card, so hopefully, you know, Jenny put that in the uh, database and we followed up with him, um, that week. Um, so, you know, I missed that opportunity, but, but the great thing is that we have an opportunity every Sunday to meet new people and invite people to our group. And there was another Sunday I was sitting with another person in my group and we saw a guy we didn't know and we invited him to our group and he came and he got connected. So we just gave you 10 ways to find a new people for your group. Uh, what we encourage you to do right now is to look at that that list of 10 and maybe circle one or two of them that you say, hey, um, I think this could work for me. Maybe you can try that over the next few weeks to invite some new people to your group. Um, so the first way that new people come to your group is that you look for them. Uh, but the second way that people end up in your group is that they look for you. Um, so these are the hot prospects. These are the low-hanging low fruit. Um, these are the people who have said themselves, hey, we're looking to join a group. And there's a few different ways that uh, these people fall into your lap. One would be that they fill out a connections card on Sunday or they talk with a staff member and then we send you their name or we send you their contact information. Um, the other way would be that they would sign up online on Group Vitals now and they would express interest in your group. And so when you get the name of a prospective group member and their contact information, um, how should you go about following up with them? 
Uh, what we'd encourage you to do would be to try the rule of three. Um, what's the rule of three, you might ask? Okay, so the rule of three um, is making three contacts. It's contacting them three different times um, using three different contact methods. So you're going to try um, a phone call, an email, and a text message. Or if you have the information, just use whatever you have. And then do that over three different weeks. So as soon as you get that contact information, uh, call them on the phone within 24 to 48 hours. And call, strike while the iron's still hot, while they're still interested, before they psych themselves out and say, you know what, um, group's not for me. Or before another group nabs them, you know, call them and, and get them first. Um, and then if they don't answer the phone, leave a voicemail, but recognize that a lot of people these days don't check their voicemail. Maybe that would be you. Um, so often people don't check a voicemail, so try to send them an email right after that if you get a voicemail that first week. Now, if a week goes by and they still haven't responded to you, then send them another email and uh, see if they're still interested. Ask them um, if they have any questions and send them the details about your group. And then if another week goes by and they still haven't responded, then send them a text. And I'm blown away by how many people will never respond to an email, they'll never respond to a phone call, but when I text them, they'll respond almost immediately. Uh, so try three contacts, three contact methods, and three different weeks. Um, now, using this method, it's not going to guarantee uh, that new people are going to show up to your group. But I think you can say, hey, I've done my job, I've done my due diligence to reach out to this person, and they know where to find us if they want to join a group. Now, uh, actually, this, is, this rule of three is the same uh, rule that we use for our connection team at Northridge. And we found it very helpful in connecting uh, new people to our church. Um, if they do express interest and say, hey, we want to come to your group, uh, if Sunday lands before your first group meeting, then invite them to, to meet you in the lobby or to sit with you in a service. Um, that way they have at least one familiar face before they come to your group for the first time. So, okay, let's say they say yes, uh, they're in, they're going to come check out your group. Uh, the reality is that a lot of people come to group one time, but then they never return. So that brings us with a, up another question, which is how do we keep new people in our group? How do we make our group sticky? How do we create an environment that people actually want to return to when they come and check out our group? One way to keep new people is to create like super safe and compelling environments where they just want to come back. They want to be a part of what they see. And this begins by asking the question, is your group even ready for new people? And one way we can address this is by creating attractive environments. This is essentially about making a good impression. And it all begins with answering the questions they're asking, no surprises, before they even show up. And you have to do this by preparing in advance. Ask yourself, did they get the weekly email? Make sure they don't miss the weekly email leading up to group that first week they attend. Make sure you let them know where to park, where to find your house, your apartment. Is there a certain door they should go in? Should they knock or should they just let themselves in? Like, think about what they're going to be thinking when they drive up to your house or your apartment and make sure you answer those questions ahead of time. Take away any fear from that experience. And then let them know that they were expected. Don't let them feel like an afterthought. Make sure there's somebody to greet them at the door. Have enough chairs available. So when they walk in, you're like, oh no, there's a new person. we got to pull out new chairs. There's nothing more awkward than having to pull out new chairs. It makes it seem like you didn't plan for them to be there. Um, hide the pets. Uh, not everyone appreciates a dog or a cat in their lap that first time. <laughs> I know you love your pet, but moving them to another room until you get a feel for whether or not they're even comfortable with having a pet in their face. Um, and make sure you have plenty of snack available. I don't assume that any of you are making the exact same number of cupcakes as you have group attenders. You're going out of your way to make extra snacks so nobody feels like they're taking the last of anything or that they can't help themselves. All of that helps them feel like they were expected. 
The next thing is setting clear expectations. Let them know what they're getting themselves into. Um, when group starts, make sure you explain how the time will go, outline, we're gonna do discussion for a little bit, and then we're gonna break into prayer. Tell them what the discussion will look like ahead of time so they get a feel for it. Let them know in advance whether or not they need to bring their notes from the message. If you're the one person that didn't bring your notes because you didn't know, it's awkward for that experience. Um, let them know if they need to watch, watch the message. Most of our groups do message discussion, so make sure you let them know that as well. Make sure you explain the process for prayer in your community group. It sounds so simple, but I've been in groups where people didn't know how to pray, and they didn't know what prayer time would look like. And so even with the guys in my community group, we kind of have a conversation at the start of the trimester, letting each other know, you know, hey, if somebody is ever new in community group, and we will have new people at times, if someone's new, in guys' prayer time, we should pray short prayers so that it's accessible, and we do not pray in a circle. Because as soon as we pray in a circle, it's going to get to that point in the circle where that person is sitting, the new person, and we don't know where they are. We don't know if they're comfortable with that. We don't know if they've ever paid before. And that's actually helped us in the past. We've had guys in group, um, one, you know, just a year and a half ago, his first time checking out church like Northridge. And it was really encouraging to him to not feel like he had to pray that first week as he got a feel for what community group would look like. Um, this is really about helping people feel comfortable in an unfamiliar environment. Because a person that's in an unfamiliar place often doesn't know how they're supposed to act. They use quotes, supposed to act. Not unlike Elf, when he was coming from the North Pole to New York City for the first time, and he was in an unfamiliar environment, this is how he acted. Facilitate accessible discussions. Um, so recognize that people in your group are coming from um, all different levels of belief or interest in God or Christianity. Um, there might be people in your group who have not yet crossed the line of faith. Uh, recognize that there's people in your group who have different levels of biblical knowledge. So in January, our daughter Eden was born. And Laura and I were blown away that there were people in the hospital, people at the doctor's office, who had never heard of the Garden of Eden. That's the origin of our daughter's name, and people had never heard of the Garden of Eden. Um, even uh, in summer group, this summer we were discussing uh, one of the sermons from Sunday, and we were discussing a question, you know, how did King David get to this level of hypocrisy that he got to in his life? And for some of the people who missed Sunday, they had never heard of King David, um, let alone what he had done in his life to become such a hypocrite. Um, so leading safe and accessible discussions means that we need to be careful not to assume that the people in the room either believe or, or know the part of the Bible that you're talking about. 
Another thing we can do to create, a, create an attractive environment is to be a model for the attendees in our group. Be the perfect attendee that you want them to be. It seems so simple, but we don't often do it. Are you making sure to share, be honest, open in your prayer time? Are you volunteering to pray for other people? When they're sharing in prayer time or even in discussion, are you asking follow-up questions to kind of keep that conversation going? Helps people feel connected and models for others what you want group time to look like. The next one is assess the group and follow up. Um, let's be honest, when you have a new person in group, it changes the dynamic, the feel in the discussion and in the environment. And like Jason mentioned, they might be clueless to what it even means to have a biblical worldview. They might not know all the Bible stories that you're talking about. And so kind of feel it out. Watch what's happening. Assess what's happening in group. And this is my plug for my area. Maybe starting point is a great next step for those people. If you find someone that just isn't keeping up, maybe, with the conversation, invite them to check out starting point. We've even had people who have invited people to starting point, and they've attended with those people they've invited for a few weeks to help them get settled into that environment before transitioning out. But that's how you're going to help people own that environment, and then when they come back to group, they're going to have things to share that they're learning from the Bible. It gets them engaged. And then the last one is kind of focusing in, which is follow-up. This is so critical to creating that attractive environment. It's asking about the experience. Send a follow-up text, email, or phone call to the person who attended group. How did it go? What did you think of your experience in community? All right, so in addition to creating attractive environments, uh, maybe the very best way to keep people in your group is to deepen relationships. Uh, so when somebody comes to a group for the first time, they're asking a few questions. They're asking, um, are the people in the group, are they like me? Um, do the people in the group, will they like me? Um, will I like the people in the group? Will I want to be friends with the people in the group? Will they want to be friends with me? And if people come to your group for a while and they don't establish any friendships, then they're probably not going to stick in your group. Um, so what can we do to help people who are new to our group, uh, first of all, feel that we like them, and secondly, understand that we want to be friends with them. Here are six ideas to deepen relationships. Um, we know that you've got friends, and you know how to make friends and be friends with people. But so some of these will seem obvious, but I think thinking it through, saying it out loud, helps us be more effective at it and have a strategy when we interact with people. So the first thing, the first idea to deepen relationships is to follow up within 24 hours. I already mentioned follow up as part of creating an attractive environment. Um, but letting people know that you know our connections in community group go beyond just the community group environment. So whether it's a phone call or a text that night or the next day, it lets them know you know they're there, they're there, that they exist, and it starts to build a relationship. The second thing is to invite them to sit together with you on Sunday morning. Keep that connection going. You don't just meet a community group, you also see each other on Sunday morning if you attend the same campus. And if your group already sits together on Sunday, which I encouraged earlier as you're trying to find people to connect in group, but if you already sit together, it's an easy invite. Hey, join our group, we all sit together on Sunday morning. The third thing is send a card. Send them a postcard, a thank you note, thanking them for attending. If you want some postcards or note cards, just let us know. We can dig some up for you. Um, I think this just lets people know you care. Handwritten notes are like an ancient art form that just connects with people. They love getting a handwritten card. 
All right, the next thing would be to get together outside of the group. Um, so connect over food. Uh, maybe that's uh, lunch after a Sunday service. Uh, maybe that's grabbing coffee in the evening or doing breakfast in the morning or, or having some people in your group over for dinner. Uh, but get together outside of group number five would be to rotate group connection. So this would be, again, uh, taking um, your, your co-leaders or maybe other mature people in your group and dividing up your group roster so that every person in your group can get a touch every week, whether that's a text, a, a phone call, or actually getting together with that person. And then number six would be to celebrate life with them. And Josh talked about how we love to party, you know, birthday parties, holiday parties, Super Bowl parties. When you throw a party, throw a party and invite the new people to your group to check it out. And then also, you know, find out their birthday, find out their anniversary when they come to group. And then set a reminder for when that's going to be so that on the week that that lands, you can bring a birthday cake for them. You can bring a card and have everybody sign it. You can sing for them and embarrass them. But celebrate life with them. Maybe they have a baby. You can uh, celebrate with that, that with them. You can set up a meal train for them. But celebrate life uh, with them. Uh, this last spring, uh, one of my co-leaders and I, Trevor Hibbard, um, we met a guy on Sunday morning that neither of us knew. And so we both thought, okay. Uh, we don't know this guy, so let's gang up on him and invite him to our group. Um, so we cornered him after the service, and uh, we had a conversation with him, invited him to our group. And uh, we learned a little bit about his background. He had grown up Catholic. He had been away from church for a long time. He really found that church wasn't very relevant to him. And so he started dating a girl who was attending Northridge. And so after a lot of invites, he finally came. And he actually really liked Northridge. And so when we invited him to group, he came to our group. Uh, he checked it out. He really enjoyed our group. And actually, he would often be one of the very last people to leave. And so in January, we had our daughter Eden and Laura and I were sleep deprived. We were trying to figure out when to go to bed. And you know, he'd often be at our house. It was like past 10 o'clock. And like, okay, we got to kick this guy out of our house. But he really connected um, with our group. And we enjoyed and connecting with him. Um, at the same time, he's got a lot of issues in his life that he needs to work through that have been kind of you know frustrating as we've worked uh, with him through some of the things he's uh, doing in his life. And he's actually checked out Starting Point and is exploring you know, what does it look like to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. But that one invite for him began to change the trajectory and the direction of his life. And really, it all starts with an invite. Uh, for you, it might start with one phone call, one email, one text, one cup of coffee, or one conversation. Uh, but Jesus has called all of us. He's commanded all of us to make more and better followers of Jesus. And that happens when we focus on reaching one person. Now, one invite at a time, one person at a time. Hopefully you're a little overwhelmed. You went super fast and piled a bunch on you, but the idea was to get you kind of percolating some ideas for how you might engage new people. As we transition to a time of Q&A, there's some space in there to write down two takeaways. Two things you want to remember, two things you want to implement this week. Maybe it wasn't even something we said. Maybe all the thinking about inviting new people gave you two ideas you wanted to try out with your fellow group attendees in the next few weeks as you try to invite new people. So if you want to write those in there, I think there's space for two we have dessert in the lobby, but we do have a few minutes for questions if you have any questions about this content or anything else that has to do with groups or connections in our future with Josh. So yeah, any quest questions that you guys have? Or snide remarks? I don't know if this is really a question, but what we run into a lot is that our group is very open to people, but we're all either married or in a relationship or have kids. Every time somebody comes to our group that is not in that same exact life stage, they feel super awkward and they don't come back. 
um, and you try to get all the other friends that aren't in a relationship to come too to make it less intimidating, but I don't know how to get around that because it's happened multiple times and they just feel like they're not part of the group because they're not married or in a relationship or they don't have kids. Yeah, that's definitely a difficult tension. Um, so the question she was talking about, you know, how do you connect new people into your group who aren't really in the same stage of life? Uh, one of the things that I think I've heard over the years is that people want, you know, they say, hey, it would be so great you know, for the body of Christ to be all gelled together and the older and the younger together and, the, you know, the more mature discipling the young, you know, the immature and, you know, all these different things. And that sounds really great, and that can work, and it has worked in some of our groups that does work well in. But a lot of times when people who are in a different stage of life connect with a group, they'll say, hey, I wanted a group that was more diverse, and then they'll attend for a few weeks or a trimester, and then they'll say, you know what? Um, they're not available in the evenings, or they've got a kid, and they can't you know, do things with me. And so they end up people being tra- attracted to people who are in the same stage of life with them. So I don't know that I really have um, an, you know, anything to solve that. Um, you know, hopefully you can find people who are in the same stage of life. I, you know, I think it is true if you do gain a few people in your group who are, you know, in the same stage of life as them, that might be able to help keep them. But we always say, bring a friend. <laughs> I like try to get a whole bunch of yeah. people at once. Like, bring everyone you know, your brother. And, you know, we try. Well, mm-hmm. the reality for that situation might be to just connect with a couple of the leaders from some of the groups that are primarily singles and help them meet each other and get connected. If, I mean, it's hard. When you have young kids and single persons in a group, you live totally different lives, and it's hard to mesh, and it's hard to connect. So the best thing might be to help them connect with people in that stage of life. Yeah, we, 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 we definitely... <laughs> I go with that one. That one's much there definitely are some outliers there out there where there's like a group of all like retired 50s and 60s and they've got a 20 year old in the group and that person loves the group and they really enjoy it and I think part of that is because they've established deep relationships with that person so I do think the more time you invest with that person outside of group the more attracted they are going to be to you know sticking in your group and continuing to attend um, here first and then I'll go Follow up on the point about uh, particularly um, the men's side. If you have something new, uh, not to pray in circles, would you suggest maybe get one person maybe say, who do you want to pray for today, and then one person do the prayer? That's one way to So, one way to do it is to have one person pray for the request. But we love to model people jumping in and praying, so we kind of set the standard. So, the way my group does it for the men. We do short prayers. We keep it to just a few sentences. We're not modeling 10 minutes of praying for someone. We're modeling repeating what they said and asking God's intervention in it. Um, but another part is... Um, I'm losing my train of thought. What was the question? So the, que- the question <laughs> was... Did you have one person pray in prayer time so not everybody else has to pray? Oh, yeah. So what we'll often do is, um, like, we kind of agree ahead of time, be aggressive with grabbing someone's prayer. So if I share my request, Mike and my group will say, Josh, I'll pray for you. And then he immediately prays for me. And then Mike shares his request or someone else. We, we try really hard to break that circle pattern. Okay. But maybe Colin shares, and I'm like, Colin, I'll pray for you. And we try our best to, like, 
be overly aggressive so that we don't accidentally create a circle. And, and when we practice this before there's a new person in the group, it's always a little funny and awkward because we yell at each other if we accidentally created a circle of brain for each other. But just having that tension laid out ahead of time, the four guys in prayer time just know if there's a new person, let's do everything we can to pray for them and make them feel safe. I wouldn't be afraid to ask them to share a request. Hey, is there anything we can be praying for you? Um, but don't put them on the spot to pray. I, re- I remember maybe like four or five years ago, I was in a group, and this new guy came, and I'm like, oh, he, se- he seemed like a strong Christian, as far as I could tell. And we got to the prayer time, and we just, you know, all prayed in a circle, and he got to pray, and he was like, he didn't know what to say. He was so confused, and I was like, oh, man, I totally just put him on the spot. That was the worst thing ever. So and since that point, I pretty much always said, you know, I, I preface prayer time, especially if there's a new person to say, you don't have to pray, you can jump into pray. What we do is we... Um, you know, ask if anybody wants to pray for that person, and then somebody can volunteer to pray for that. So if you'd like to pray, you can, but you don't have to. Well, one of the things I also say in groups is uh, I mentioned that everybody can pray more than once if they want to. So that way they don't feel like, oh man, everybody's praying except for me. And yeah. so that oh, that's good. Yeah. All right, you had a question. Yeah, my, my question is about, I think we're in the second half of meeting people, and uh, I think it's someone in my group Basically, they pop in every once in a while, and um, and so it's it's not necessarily like they've come and they stopped coming, um, but just every once in a while they're popping in. And um, most recently, um, I said, you know, like, oh, I'm not going to be able to come because I have you know a kid event going on, um, but sometimes we'll be there, something like that. And so I'm wondering at what point, how can I? At what point do I say, hey, maybe you should look for another group that would fit your schedule better or something, without making it sound like, I don't want to do this with you. <laughs> 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 because that's not the case. Like, I think the, you know, if, it, if it's a different week, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just not really sure how to handle that. So the question is... Yeah. How do I drop a person who <laughs> is not responding to my attempts to get them in a group? And I think, uh, from my experience, many of us have rosters with more people in a group than actually attend. And some of the people are very flaky and, you know, like they don't even respond to your text messages, you know, let alone anything else. And so um, I usually think about, okay, where are they at spiritually? Do they have other people in their life who could invite them to group? If they're like a fringe, you know, um, not yet a Christian, then I'm like... I'm their only, like, connection to God and to, and to community and to the gospel, and so I want to stay connected with them. You know, maybe that, for me, that just means I'm going to text them every week. It's going to take me uh, a minute. Um, there are people in the group who are fringe that I'm like, okay, like, if all I ever do is invite them to a group, it sounds kind of shallow, and, like, it doesn't sound like I really care about them. What they really want to do is connect. You know, if I actually wanted to do something with them, like hang out, watch a game together... Um, or you know, just do something fun, then maybe they'd be more likely to check out my group. The thing is that that can be overwhelming because, like we talked about tonight, you feel like I can't do that for everybody in my group. So, again, maybe there's one person that you're going to do that for that you can say, hey, we could have them over, you know, for dinner. We could hang out with that person, and maybe that would be the catalyst that would get them to my group. Um, but if you focus on another person, then you know you can't do that for everybody. So. Um, I don't have a perfect answer for that. Um, if they are like a mature believer and they have other connections at church, then maybe you say, okay, they know where to find a group if they need one. They, they're connected with other people they serve alongside of. And so I'm, maybe I'm just going to stop reaching out to them for a while. Um, any final questions? 
Alright guys, well thanks so much for coming to our breakout. We will have dessert in the lobby and uh, we'd love to connect with you more uh, outside of this time if you have more questions. Thanks for coming.